G'day. We hope you're enjoying our podcast. Producing a podcast is costly, both time and money. If you'd like to show your support and offer a one-off payment, even the price of a coffee or a beer, that'd be greatly appreciated and would go a long way to support us. If you'd like to leave a donation, head to the show notes of this episode and click on the ACAST supporter link. Be sure to leave your message of support too. Thanks again. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Opinions shared in this podcast are just that. It's up to the listener to decide what is true and what is not true. This podcast contains coarse language, references to violence, sexual abuse and murder, and may not be suitable for everyone. Discretion is advised. It was one of the most brutal child killings in Australia's history. Leanne Holland's badly beaten body was found dumped in bushland in the outer western suburbs of Brisbane in 1991. This was a vicious, brutal, sadistic murder of a 12-year-old girl. The de facto of the 13-year-old's older sister was charged and convicted. Queensland police say their review of the Leanne Holland case will be thorough. If we uncover any new evidence, we'll certainly explore that. Hi, my name's Graeme Stafford. I have not been involved in the production of this podcast, but have been invited to tell my side of the story. In 1991, I was sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Leanne Holland, a murder I did not commit. This is not my story. This is the story of the murder of Leanne Holland and a search for the truth, a search that continues to this day. A 610 Media production. This is Who Killed Leanne Holland. Chapter 3. Sliding door moments. G'day, my name is Jamie Fultz, and welcome to Chapter 3 of Who Killed Leanne Holland. Sliding door moments. Come with me whilst we meet the many people involved and affected by this brutal murder. We also discuss the dynamics of the murder and how it impacted on so many lives, not just Leanne Holland. And talk about sliding door moments. Just imagine if Graham Stafford didn't have a rostered day off on that fateful Monday, 23rd of September, 1991. The Queensland police would simply say the murder would not have happened that day anyway. Many others would say it would still have occurred and we would not be talking about it 28 years later. And remember, we will be asking you to vote on the guilt or innocence of Graham Stafford at the end of the series. During the podcast, you'll hear some names reoccurring on a regular basis. So that you have a better understanding of the principal persons involved, we will go into some details of each of them, as they are absolutely vital to the story. Ah, so Graham, how are you going, mate? Yeah, good thanks, Jamie, and yourself. 
Yeah, good, thank you. Um, I, I just wanted to let you know I've been working on my um, impersonation of you. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, tell me more. All right, so it goes something like this. Um, and what they did with that evidence, I don't know because they refused to release the review. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Is that kind of accurate? That's very good. (laughs) But don't don't worry, mate. I listened back to uh, Chapter 2 and how many times I replied with, mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, mm, mm. That'll be my my impression of you. Mm, mm, mm. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so um, how do you think Chapter 2 was, mate, the interview? Uh, I thought it went pretty well, Jamie. Mm. Um, we, we we had Graham Stafford on the record, which is what we wanted to do, um, and I think you know he he got across what it was like in prison, um, what he he denies the the um, the murder, which is um, everything we expected, and um, and I, I was pretty happy with it. There, there was that question mark about whether um, uh, he, what happened with Melissa. Um, Melissa Holland. I was never concerned about that because from the day he was arrested, which was on the Saturday in 19, September 1991, he didn't see daylight again until uh, 2006. So it wasn't a case that he could pursue Melissa. Um, I, uh, whether she pursued him or not, I don't know, but... You know, initially I thought when I heard back the interview, I thought that he didn't try and contact Melissa. I thought, well, if that was me and I was arrested for killing my girlfriend's sister, I'd be shouting from the rooftops trying to get someone to hear me to say, look, mate, I I didn't kill Leanne, but he didn't. But, you know, hearing his response, which was that I didn't want to be seen to intimidate anyone, I thought that was pretty fair, really. Yeah, I... I- I think that's a that's a fair uh, position to take. Um, Graham Stafford um, commented to me a few times over the years, Jamie, that he never wanted to be perceived the same as violent criminals. He said, "I'm not a violent person, and I do not want to be seen as someone who th- who threatens violence or who who does violence." He said, "That's not me." So so for that. So he didn't want to uh, either threaten or or do violence because he said that that would be just doing what they expected me to do. And he said, and that that's not me. And that raises another point, actually. You know, wherever you stand in this case, who's guilty or who's not guilty, uh, one thing that sticks its head out at me is that he had no previous history, criminal history um, before this. And not always, but nine times out of ten, you don't just go and kill someone without any criminal history beforehand. Usually there's some violent behaviours, there's some precursors to this sort of behaviour. You know, there's domestic violence, calls for service, there's assaults, there's public nuisances, there's something to lead up to this kind of behaviour, but there was nothing absolutely nothing. So that's something that sort of raises some flags with me as well. 
That's a valid valid comment, um, Jamie. Uh, I always felt the same thing, that there was no history of violence, but significantly there's been no history of violence since his release either. So the guy was a clean skin before this murder and he's been a clean skin ever since and he's been out now some 15 years. And if there was any proclivity there to... To, to offend, I think we would have seen it at some point, either before the murder or since his release, and there's been nothing. And there was nothing in jail either, was there? There was no complaints of his behaviour or no. charges in jail. No, no. Actually, that's a, a that's an interesting comment. Um, I, from what I've seen and from the comments I've read and particularly the psychologist reports, he was a model prisoner and I've been wanting to contact um, Corrective Services in Queensland and say, you know, give me a de- definition of a model prisoner and does Graham Stafford fit that model? And I suspect he does. Um, I saw on the Facebook page today a comment by a woman whose um, father was um, a long, long-term prison officer. I think some thirty years or something, and and he felt that um, Graham Stafford was innocent. And from his experience with prisoners and and his exposure to Graham Stafford, he felt that he was he was innocent. And I thought, oh, you know, if this guy was going for trial or something, it'd be you know be worthwhile to get a, a reference of him but there's no need because there's, there's no trial forthcoming and and anyway there's three other prison officers who have already given written references in relation to uh, Graham Stafford's um, conduct in prison so now there's four prison officers who who vouch for this guy as a model prisoner uh, what about uh, the drive to Arthur Powers' house, uh, which obviously I mentioned in the interview to Graham Stafford um, as being significant uh, because uh, the police prosecution case uh, was that he went to the body dump site instead of going to Arthur Powers' house because Arthur Powers wasn't home. He can't vouch that he was there. Uh, what's your take on on that? Well, that's always been problematic for, for Graham Stafford. My inquiries, I was never able to confirm one way or the other whether he went to Arthur Powers' house on that Wednesday morning. We just had Graham Stafford's claim that that was the case. Well, I'll be following that up and uh, I'll be contacting that neighbour and see if he can remember the details of that, that mm. day. Yep, good idea. Uh, one thing, uh, Graham, that I wanted to express here is that, you know, this, in all of this, we can't forget Leanne Holland, um, you know, the 12 year old whose life was lost in a brutal way. Um, that, that's a good point. And um, there's been criticism, you know, over the years, Jamie, by, by journalists who say, oh, you know, Leanne Holland's been missed in all this, she's been lost in this, she's been ignored, it hasn't been about her. But it, actually this is all about Leanne Holland. Here we are 29, nearly 30 years after the event and we're still here. So to me yeah. that says this is all about Leanne Holland. Well, with that said, let's get on with the episode, eh? Good idea. 
Leanne Holland was one week short of her 13th birthday at the time of her murder. She was one year old when her parents separated and she was brought up by her father, Terry Holland, together with her sister, Melissa, and her brother, Craig Holland. She was popular and had many friends. There were substantiated rumours of her having boyfriends, one 17 or 18 years of age, but her father denied this whilst giving evidence. She was in grade 8 at Red Bank Plains High School at the time of her murder. She was described as an average student by teachers. There is evidence she lacked supervision at home, with her father spending a lot of free time drinking in hotels. It was ascertained that Leanne was well known to staff and patrons in Goodner Hotels as she attended the hotels looking for her father. So some particulars about Leanne Holland. Leanne was born on the 10th of January 1978. She was Caucasian. She was around 5 foot 2 inches or 157 centimetres tall. She weighed approximately 41 kilograms or 90 pounds. She had blonde hair and she resided at 70A Alice Street, Goodner in Queensland. Family history. Leanne lived with her father, Terence, her sister Melissa and her sister's boyfriend, Graham Stafford. According to interviews with Leanne's friends, Leanne experienced tension with her older sister Melissa as Terence Holland left Leanne in Melissa's care when he was away. This is reported to have occurred frequently. Leanne was known to spend a great deal of her time away from home and outside of adult supervision. Obviously, I never met Leanne, so who better to ask about her than someone who did? I caught up with Julie Whitlock, one of Leanne's friends, for about nine years. Here's what she had to say. So I'm Julie Whitlock. That's my married name. Um, I was Markovic back then. Uh, we were neighbours, uh, lived next door to Leanne Holland, uh, Terry, Melissa and Craig, um, back on Bailey Street in Goodna. Um, I started majority of my schooling life there and, and Leanne was only a year younger than me and around the same age as my twin brothers. Um, my mother actually, in fact, had her second marriage and met her husband who was living with Terry Holland at the time and um, he ended up moving next door into our property and down the track obviously they married and had two more children so we were sort of tightly connected. Um, Leanne was a big part of our family obviously Terry being a single father. Uh, Melissa did a lot of the rearing of of Leanne and looking after her. Um, I have stated in uh, my previous police statements and interviews about how I believed our upbringing was. I'm quite lucky that I had, looking back now, a, quite a strict mum. But um, it is fair to say Leanne did sort of roam the streets. She had a fairly flexible lifestyle. Um, it is no secret. Terry was an alcoholic. He did spend a lot of time at the Cecil Hotel. Um so Leanne, Leanne, yeah, she was a big part of our family. She quite often ate with us. She played with us. She stayed over our house, as she did other neighbours as well. So you guys were good friends, right? We were, yeah. yeah. And how would you describe Leanne in, as a person? Well, talking as, as like a child, I look at it a lot different now, being an adult and a mum and having my own daughter who is the same age as Leanne now. Um she she had a a very interesting lifestyle. Like there is no way I would have my daughter do anything 
that Leanne did back in the day. Um, it, and it, it was a good number. I, I don't, I didn't realise just how dangerous it was, but now I understand why my mum was so protective and the rules that we used to rebel against. Um, in fact, I guess I envied Leanne's lifestyle at one point, you know, because she could do what she wanted. Right. Um, she was quite often wandering the streets, you know, sometimes not knowing where her whereabouts were. Um, mm. She, you know, she was a lovely girl, absolutely lovely. Like my memories of her as being, you know, my best friend. But we were so young, you know. She was beautiful. Mm. She was smart. She was funny. We used to sing and dance and listen to cassette tapes. Like, you know, we were kids. Mm. So what kind of things were dangerous or or do you remember any any uh, specific details or is it just the fact that she didn't have much supervision? Yeah, not a lot of supervision. So she was sort of taken on board by a lot of, you know, families in, in the street um, and, and being my, my mum in particular. Um, so sometimes her behaviour certainly was reported. It did come to a time where as she was, you know, getting that little bit older, um, she was getting in cars with grown men and, you know, other neighbours in the street. She was frequenting around. She was staying at various places. And Melissa did try to keep a tight rein, but at the end of the day, you know, Leanne did what Leanne wanted to do. I also asked Julie if Leanne had any boyfriends. Absolutely. She had had boyfriends, and I know that for a fact because my brother was one of them in the early days, you know, like just a little love interest next door, nothing sinister. Yep. Um, but, yeah, as, around this time, she certainly was. She was engaging in more contact with boys, and, well, even men for that matter. So the rumour on the street was, um, and it has been mentioned before, and she was promiscuous. Um, and it was noted to her father in such a manner because of her behaviour and seen getting into vehicles with the older men and, you know, travelling around with them as well. Did she ever say that she was in trouble or did she ever say that she was um, in the wrong crowd or anything like that? Did she give you any indication of anything, any problems? No, no. Like, she really, she was, she was happy. Mm-hmm. She was happy. Like, I don't... I don't believe there was anything sinister in the, in you know in the lead up overly too. Um, I had only seen her in the June school holidays. She came over and stayed with us for a couple of days in our new residence in Browns Plains after right. we'd moved from Goodna. Uh, so that was the last time I did have contact with her. Um, and the one thing I did, and I have said along and I reported on and it is in all my police statements, was actually my mum had treated a, um, a smiley burn from a cigarette lighter on her. Wow. And when questioned at the time, like I think back now, and if only we knew that meant so much more, mm. but she brushed it off as to when asked what happened, it was just a friend mucking around. And do you know where that That's burn the- was on her body? Yes, it was on the top of her thigh. Okay. Like on, where your shorts would sort of, you know, sit, like just, just above that. So your and mum was, was, was a nurse, it was, was infected. Uh, mum has a, a nursing background, yes, but yep. it was actually infected. So, you know, she just used some creams and all and dressed it. and Yeah, but it's just something that stuck. Who was Terry Holland? 
Terry Holland was 46 years of age at the time of his daughter's death. He was a blue-collar worker all his adult life. He made lead-acid batteries for a company in the area. This becomes important and relevant in the investigation. It was rumoured he was an alcoholic and spent most of his free time in hotels, which he changed frequently. As at September 1991, he was a regular patron of the Cecil Hotel, situated directly across the road from his house at 70A Ellis Street. At that time, he had been renting that house for about five months. He was initially supportive of Graham Stafford after the arrest, but later changed his mind and believed Graham Stafford was guilty of murdering his daughter. Terry died in 2013 after suffering a heart attack. At that time, he was living in a caravan park behind a local football club. I met Terry Holland in the mid-1990s. He told me he would speak with me on that occasion, but would never speak to me again. He had no direct evidence implicating Graham Stafford in the murder, he told me, but relied on what he had been told by police. When I was visiting Leanne's house at 70A Alice Street, Graham Stafford met us, and while I was there, I asked him about Terry Holland. Here's what he had to say. I mean, Terry just, you know, and I'm not having a... You can't really say it without sounding like you're having a go at him, but he was just a slob and, you know, he just sort of didn't really think much about having things where they should be, you know, tidy and all that sort of thing. Didn't, did you get along with Terry? I hardly ever... That, that was the other strange thing. I mean, in the time we were going out together, I probably spoke to him no more than a dozen words. Really? Um, he just kept to himself. Yeah. Uh, and you can see downstairs... Um, it's, it's like there's no window in the door, so the door's closed and you don't know whether he's home or not sort of thing. So. But he um, wasn't like the typical father that keeps a close tab on well, the whereabouts of... Not really. I mean, I wouldn't describe him as, as that, but you know, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that uh, he um, mm. you know, was a, um, a father who just didn't care. I think he was just probably uh, trapped by the bloody um, vice, the alcohol, you know mm. I mean? You go over there three or four times a night, you know. Who is Melissa Holland? Melissa Holland was 20 years of age at the time of her sister's murder. She was in a romantic relationship with Graham Stafford at that time and had been for approximately 11 months. Melissa wanted to move back into her father's house as Leanne was lacking supervision and she would believe it would help if she was living there. This next clip is from a TV show called Australian Story. Jean Stafford, who's Graham's mother, explains why Graham and Melissa went to live with Leanne and her father, Terry. He'd been going out with Melissa for about 12 months and then her father asked them if they'd live at his place just to keep an eye on Leanne because he had to work. And if Melissa and Graham were there, then there were more people to take care of her. So that's basically why they went and lived with Terry. Prior to moving to 70A Alice Street, she and Graham were living with the father of a family friend in nearby Collingwood Park. She worked in the office at the same manufacturing business as Graham Stafford. She has never publicly commented on the murder of her sister, nor who she believes is responsible for the murder. We have reached out to her, but she has not responded. There are many important questions we want to ask her. Importantly, what was her relationship with Pete, the pedophile and family friend? We know Pete lived with the Hollands for a few weeks, and prior to that, they were neighbours. It has been claimed that Melissa went with Pete 
in his truck on trips to Western Queensland. Who was Craig Holland? Craig Holland was 23 years of age at the time of his sister's murder. He had been living on and off at the family home at 70A Alice Street, but in 1991 he moved out with some mates into another rental property. He did visit his family from time to time. He was employed by a removalist. Some weeks before the murder of his sister, he broke into the family home through a kitchen window and cut his hand on some glass. He had apparently been drinking at the time. The cut was apparently deep enough to warrant stitches. It is claimed he wrapped it in a tea towel and washed it in the bathroom, the same bathroom where a quantity of family blood was identified. He was tragically killed around 1996 when he fell off a balcony at a party and broke his neck. Here's what Graham Stafford had to say about Craig Holland. But then again, I mean, you know, the Waruna, down the, the other pub down on the main road, that had its moments as well. Poor old Craig ended up bloody, um, that's where Craig died. Well, really? That's, yeah, um, the brother, he got into a uh, pub fight down at the Waruna and um, fell off a, um, got pushed off a wall. I don't know the full circumstances because I was obviously out of the way. Mm. But, um, yeah, they had to turn his life support off. Did you know Craig? Yeah. Not well, but uh, knew of him. Melissa didn't like him. Mm. Um, Whether that was just brother, sister or not, I don't know. But he never... um, I think the worst he ever... uh, I ever saw was that he used to keep pinching a bit of the garden hose, you know? Yeah. And I'm wanting the garden hose to wash the car and it keeps getting shorter and shorter, you know? So I think you get the picture there. Yeah, yeah. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Who is Trisha Lynch? Trisha Lynch features heavily in the murder of Leanne Holland. She was 13 years of age at the time and described as Leanne's best friend. She lived in the Goodna Caravan Park with her mother and her mother's partner. It is not known how long they had been living in the park prior to the murder. She had been attempting to contact Leanne on Monday the 23rd of September 1991. She denied meeting her that day. The family moved to Tasmania a very short time after the murder. I wanted to speak to Tricia Lynch. I traced her in the mid-1990s. She was living on the streets of King's Cross in Sydney. When I spoke with her, she had no direct evidence of Graham Stafford being involved in the murder. He had never touched her or any other girl to her knowledge, but she stated that on one occasion he looked at her in a funny way. Her involvement is detailed in a later chapter. Who is Sean McFedrin? 
This is the person I named as suspect number one in the murder of Leanne in Chapter 1 of this podcast. Sean McFedron was arrested on the 16th of October 1991 for the murder of Julianne Lowe at the Goodna Caravan Park, which is one kilometre from the home where Leanne was living. This was some 22 days after Leanne's murder. He remains in prison to this day, serving his sentence. In the mid-1990s, I spoke with Sean McFedron by telephone in prison. I asked him if he was involved in the murder of Leanne Holland. He deflected the question. There is evidence to suggest he was involved in the murder, and we will discuss that in a later chapter. The 12-year-old was found face down in a creek at Goodner, west of Brisbane, in October 1991. The man accused of her murder told police he and the girl had been mucking around. Who is Mark Thomas Noble? This is the person I named as suspect two in the murder of Leanne in Chapter 1 of this podcast. In 2005, he was sentenced to 19 years imprisonment for the murder of a man in Hobart by striking him to the head with the back of an axe and a hammer. He was paroled in 2015 but unfortunately died in 2017. This person previously confessed to a woman that he had murdered a young girl in Brisbane's western suburbs. I wrote to Mark Noble in prison in Tasmania but never received a reply. These are some comments from the judge passing sentence on Noble for that murder. This is not the judge's real voice. We had a friend, Mark, read out the following comments. You continued to strike Mr. Bacino with the back of an axe and obtained a hammer with which you struck him. Your initial blow severely fractured Mr. Bacino's skull. Additional injuries caused by your subsequent blows include a compound fracture of his left humerus, a fracture of the mid-shaft of his left femur, a fracture of the distal portion of his femur, extremely marked bruising of his right wrist, and a substantial number of other bruises, abrasions and lacerations. When you finally desisted, it must have been apparent to you that medical assistance should be summoned, regardless of what you thought Mr Bacino's wishes were. You placed a towel over him and a pillow under his head and went to bed. You are 39 years of age. Since the age of 16, you have been an alcoholic and addicted to amphetamines. You have also experimented with heroin to the point of overdosing on that drug. Your record includes convictions for crimes involving violence in respect of which you have, on three different occasions, served sentences of imprisonment, the last of which sentence was imposed in 2001. Who is the pedophile we call Pete? This is the person I named as suspect number three in the murder of Leanne in Chapter 1. We cannot identify him because he is currently before Queensland courts on charges of rape of his 11-year-old granddaughter. His daughter, ex-wife and neighbours believe he is responsible for the murder of Leanne Holland. We discuss Pete in a later chapter. We have attempted to contact him and as yet he has not responded. I caught up with Chrissy, who, when she was younger, was married to Pete and had four kids to him. Here's what she told me about him. Uh, I married when I was 15 in 1972. I was 14 when I met him in 71. Uh, he was 19. I had to um, go to court and get a judge's permission to get married, being under the age, and which was granted. So we were married in the registry office in Brisbane. 
on the 2nd of June 1972. Um, I was 15. And I caught my first hiding um, when my ba- had in October. We married in June. I had my first daughter in October, and I caught my first hiding at the end of October. Where he always threatened to steal my child, burn my parents' houses down. Um, I I lived in fear. I, well, he went to jail for two and a half years, which I visited him twice a week for two and a half years. The only times I missed were the major operations I had from, I had to have because he used to kick the crap out of me. The following clip is from Australian Story, Body of Evidence, Part 2. It features Graham Crowley and former Sunday Mail reporter, Daryl Giles. Thursday, 26 June, 1997, interview with... His family have approached me and I've had several discussions with them. They're firmly of the opinion that he uh, is involved in this um, murder. The way he is and the way he was with me, he would have killed me and I'm his flesh and blood. And I believe that if he didn't go to jail, we, would all, we wouldn't be sitting here today. Now, this person was a, a known police informant. Uh, he had a history of sexual abuse, sex crimes. Our information was he was at the scene of the crime when police found the body. He was there. Why? These are the kind of questions we want answered. And police never went near him? Well, he was assisting the police, wasn't he? Yeah. I don't know how to explain his police officer friends. They're all best friends. They all look out for each other. The daughters told me that, uh, as well as committing incest on them, he was brutal and violent towards them. Always, like, grabbed me by the hair, always across the face and in the knees. Always bashed me in my knees. He just doesn't care. If you're in pain, he'd prefer to see you in pain because he's having the final laugh. For instance, one would say that um, he burnt her with cigarettes and, um, and cigarette lighters. Young Jen's prepared to go out there. Why not? I relived everything else. I asked them to take me to the spot where he used to bring them, and this is where... The exact spot? The exact spot. This is where the girls brought me to. One said that her father had taken her to that bush spot, which turned out to be the murder scene, and, and that he'd taken her there before uh, Leanne's body was found there. I certainly believe the police should be should be pulling this man in uh, the minute that, that Stafford's case is, is, is finished. They should be looking at this man. That concludes the various people we refer to in the podcast. We now want to walk you through some of the aspects of a murder investigation, not just this case. Motive. What better place to start a murder mystery podcast than with motive? And I do not say that lightly. After all, every true crime sleuth and armchair detective knows the answer to the whodunit lays with the motive for the murder. Once the motive is established, all the pieces of the puzzle usually start to fall into place. So what is motive? An internet search of the meaning of the word motive reveals several but very similar definitions. 
The general definition of motive is a reason for doing something. So simple, yet so accurate. A US definition goes further. Motive is important in criminal law, as it is the cause that makes a person do a certain action. Understanding the motive behind a crime helps in the understanding of the crime. For example, motive is important in prosecutions for homicide. So what was Graham Stafford's motive for murdering Leanne Holland? That's easy. He did not have one. The Crown initially did not present a motive for Graham Stafford killing Leanne. They went further and told the jury they did not need to present a motive. The irony is, this is perhaps the only aspect of this terrible crime that both the Crown and the defence agreed on. Later in the trial, the pathologist described the killing as a lust killing with distorted sexual drive. So, initially at least, according to the definition, Graham Stafford had no reason at all for killing Leanne Holland. So it seems that for no apparent reason, Graham Stafford went berserk and brutally bashed Leanne Holland to death and then calmly and continuously denied any involvement in it. Shortly after Leanne's body was found, a reporter interviewed a police inspector who described the offender as not the four quid. The officer was describing the offender as isn't quite there or slightly loopy or crazy. MMO means motive and opportunity. To my knowledge, this is not frequently used in Australia, but is very much part of criminal investigations and prosecutions by the FBI in the USA. How does it work? You score the suspect out of three in each category. Apparently, prosecutors would rarely go to trial if the score was less than six. How would that work in the case of Graham Stafford? Well, motive. None that we know of and none provided by the prosecution, so zero. Means. What does this mean? The ability of the defendant to commit the crime. Yes, he had the means. He had access to a hammer and other tools. Possibly a two at the most, but let's say three. Opportunity. Extremely limited according to the available evidence, especially the confirmed sightings and activities Graham Stafford undertook on that Monday. Definitely not three, more likely a one, but say two at most. Score, between three and five, but to be generous to the Crown, say five. On that score, US prosecutors would not have prosecuted Graham Stafford. However, I invite you to calculate your own score for Graham Stafford using the MMO scale. When did Leanne die? On which day and what time did Leanne die? I don't answer that question flippantly. It is probably the most important single question of this whole sad sorry mess. The time of death is extremely important in a murder investigation. Cases have been won and lost solely on this very significant issue. And why is it so significant in this case? If Graham Stafford did not brutally murder Leanne Holland between 8am and 4.30pm on that Monday, the 23rd of September, 91, he did not kill her. It really is that simple. Before 8am on that Monday, and after 4.30pm on that same day, and on the following days until Leanne's battered body was found, he was in company with one or more people. For a lot of that time, he was in the company of police officers. And because there were a number of confirmed and unconfirmed sightings of Leanne on that Monday, on Monday night and on the Tuesday, 
the time of death becomes very significant. As well, there were confirmed and unconfirmed sightings of Graham Stafford on that day. How do you determine time of death in a murder case? Well, there are four main ways to determine the time of death. Number one, an admission by the killer detailing when he committed his crime. Number two, witnesses are present when the offender kills the victim or inflicts the injuries that result in the death of the victim and can give evidence to that effect. Number three, a forensic pathologist takes the core temperature of the deceased and calculates backwards to when life became extinct. If the body has cooled to the ambient temperature of its surroundings, this is not possible. Rigor mortis of the deceased is also used to calculate time of death. For those unfamiliar with this term, it means a few hours after a person or animal dies, the joints of the body stiffen and become locked in place. This stiffening is called rigor mortis. Depending on body temperature and other conditions, rigor mortis lasts approximately 72 hours. Number four, where the body has cooled to the surrounding temperature and there is obvious decomposition, a forensic entomologist can examine insects taken from the body and working back can calculate the time of death by the age and stages of the insects. This is not an exact science and there are many variables. It is incumbent on the Crown to prove time of death. In the case of Lee and Holland, the Crown used a forensic entomologist to calculate the time of death. The entomologist provided two times of death. The latest was 8.30am on Tuesday the 24th of September 1991, whilst the preferred time of death was between 4pm and 6pm on Monday the 23rd of September. Either time was still outside the time Graham Stafford had available to commit the murder. The entomologist would later state that she would prefer to give a day of death as opposed to a time of death. But this was the case as presented by the Crown. They set the benchmark. As you will hear in a later chapter, that same forensic entomologist recalculated the time and day of death as now having occurred on the Tuesday, the 24th of September, 91. As we stated earlier, if Graham Stafford did not murder Leanne Holland between 8am and 4.30pm on Monday, he didn't murder her at all. Which of course begs the question, who did, when and where? We hope to be able to answer those questions in later chapters. In 2012, the police commissioner Bob Atkinson had this to say when he announced the completion of the police review. This is not his real voice. It has been determined the last credible sighting of Leanne Holland occurred at about 10.15am on the 23rd of September 1991. Ms Holland was seen walking in the direction of a home address in clothing identical to what was found on her body when she was located deceased. The location of this sighting was approximately 100 metres away from a home in a location next door to where her paternal grandmother resided. Full meteorological records were obtained as opposed to only maximum and minimum temperatures used in 1991. A detailed examination of these records, along with entomological research, has determined the approximate time of death was the 23rd of September 1991. Window of Opportunity Wikipedia defines window of opportunity, also called margin of opportunity or critical window, as a period of time which some action can be taken that will achieve a desired outcome. Once this period is over, or the window is closed, 
the specified outcome is no longer possible. As you've heard, Graham Stafford had a specific time in which he could commit the murder. Outside of that, then he didn't do it. Obviously, it takes time to commit a murder, dispose of the body, clean up the crime scene, dispose of bloody clothes and any murder instruments, and compose oneself. Queensland police have stated they believe Stafford needed around 45 minutes to commit this crime. We think many experts in this field will dispute that timing. One forensic scientist, very familiar with murder investigations, suggested a minimum of two hours. So what were Graham Stafford and Leanne Holland doing on Monday the 23rd of September 1991? We have extracted a timeline from all available evidence. The full timeline can be found at whokilledleanholland.com. Graham Stafford had a rostered day off and consequently did not go to work that day. Leanne Holland was on school holidays. Both Terry Holland and Melissa went to work for the entire day. So Graham and Leanne were home alone. The confirmed sightings of Graham Stafford that day is nothing short of staggering. If you accept the Queensland Police version of events, which we don't, the last credible sighting of Leanne Holland was at 10.15am, which conveniently leaves Graham Stafford any number of hours to do his grisly work, in between the confirmed sightings, of course. So when exactly did he murder her? Well, that is for you to decide. So we shall concentrate on the period of time after 10.15am and before 4.30pm. A friend of Leanne's told police she called the Holland House at about 10am and spoke with Graham Stafford. She wanted to speak with Leanne. Graham Stafford told the friend, Trisha Lynch, that Leanne had gone down to the shops. There was discussion about Trisha wanting to catch up with Leanne. Between 10am and 11am, the exact time was never confirmed, Graham Stafford calls Melissa at work. There was nothing unusual about the call, according to Melissa. Of course, he could have been establishing an alibi. But what alibi? That he was home and Leanne Holland was down at the shops? At approximately 11am, Terry Holland calls the house and speaks with Graham Stafford. According to Terry, there was nothing unusual about this call. At approximately 11am, the neighbour at the rear of the house gives evidence that he sees a man working on his car on the side of his house. Approximately 12.30pm, Graham Stafford drives to a friend's house and stays there between 45 minutes to an hour. At 2pm, Graham Stafford drives to Red Bank Plains Shopping Centre. A shop assistant confirms this. At 2.18pm, Graham Stafford makes a purchase from Franklin's, a grocery store. A receipt for that time and date was located in his car. 3pm, Graham Stafford attends BP to wash his car on Red Bank Plains Road. A receipt confirms this, as does CCTV video footage. That video was later lost by police and never aired at the trial. 3.30pm. A telephone call between Graham Stafford and Melissa Holland occurs from the house. Melissa stated there was nothing unusual about that call. 4.30pm. Terry Holland arrives home. 4.45pm. Melissa Holland arrives home. 5pm. Graham Stafford and Melissa Holland go grocery shopping. At this time, according to the Queensland Police, Leanne Holland's body was in the boot of Graham Stafford's car. 
Melissa did not notice anything unusual about Graham Stafford's behaviour at this time. When questioned at the trial about where the groceries were placed, she stated the back seat. She stated placing them in the boot was an option, and Graham Stafford did not prevent her or say anything about not using the boot. She confirmed Graham Stafford was wearing the same clothes when she arrived home as he was wearing when she left for work that morning. Disputed or unconfirmed sightings of both Graham Stafford and Leanne Holland. There were sightings of both Leanne Holland and Graham Stafford on that Monday that have been disputed by Queensland Police or have been unable to be corroborated. At a time perhaps between 9am and 11am, the Vietnamese neighbour to the side gives evidence he sees a man working on his car at the side of the house. This evidence is corroborated by the neighbour at the rear. Why is it disputed? Because Queensland police claim the Vietnamese were not home that day. 11am. Leanne Holland attends the Commonwealth Bank in Queen Street. This is a significant and compelling sighting and is covered fully in a later chapter. We mentioned it briefly in Chapter 1. As you know... Queensland police claim the last credible sighting of Leanne Holland was around 10.15am. 12 midday. Leanne Holland was sighted by a family outside the Commonwealth Bank. One of the sons went to school with Leanne. This too is a significant sighting by a classmate. Between 11.45 and 12 midday, Graham Stafford claims he attended a fast food shop called Big Rooster and purchase lunch. There is no record of the Queensland Police attending Big Rooster to confirm one way or other whether Graham Stafford was there. 3pm. A worker in the convenience store around the corner from 70A Alice Street sees Leanne. That was disputed by Queensland Police. Also at 3pm, a worker at the Cecil Hotel sees Leanne Holland walking past. He has known her since she was a baby. This too is a significant and compelling sighting. This too is disputed by Queensland Police. A number of years later, I spoke to that worker and he was still adamant at that time that he had seen Leanne Holland at 3pm on Monday the 23rd of September 1991 walking past the Cecil Hotel. At 8.30pm... An ex-boyfriend of Leanne Holland cites her outside the Cecil Hotel. The following morning, Tuesday, a female believes she cited Leanne Holland sitting in a car at the Goodner Shops. The full timeline of these sightings can be found at whokilledleanneholland.com. Join us next time on Who Killed Leanne Holland for the intense, some say unprecedented police action that occurred as a result of the missing person report taken in relation to the disappearance of Leanne Holland. What did the Queensland police know so early on that seemingly influenced their investigation from the start up to its conclusion with the arrest of Graham Stafford? Who Killed Leanne Holland is a 610 Media production. This episode was written and fact-checked by Graham Crowley. Theme song by Jamie Pulse. This episode was recorded and edited 
by Jamie Peltz and Tom Johnson at Jampot Studios. It was mixed and mastered by Tom Johnson. With help from Alex Rottier from Paperbox Studios. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Who Killed Leanne Holland. You can also head to our websites to read our blogs and see pictures at whokilledleanholland.com and 610mediagroup.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe. All links will be on the show notes. I'd also like to thank a few companies for helping me produce a better sounding podcast. Zoom, Audio Technica, Yamaha, Sound Theory and Isotope. These companies have really helped me up my game, which gives you a better listening experience. Thanks for listening to Who Killed Leanne Hall. Cheers. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.